I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 16. As we come to the final chapter in the book of Judges on the life of Samson. But before we hear God's word from Judges 16, let us call upon our God and ask for his help once again. Merciful Lord, we thank you that truly every word of the Bible is your word that you have breathed out, that you have given to us, that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray for each of us, from the youngest to the oldest, would grow in that grace and knowledge by the power of your Holy Spirit as we consider the life of Samson, who points us to a much greater Savior than himself. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord to you this evening from Judges chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush, ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars in which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Samson is both a mirror and a window. 
He is the embodiment of Israel in his day, called to be holy unto God, yet often doing what was right in his own eyes, not God's. The author, therefore, presents Samson to us as a mirror who shows us our sin when we look into his life. However, Samson is also a foreshadow of Israel's promised Messiah. The author, therefore, also presents Samson to us as a window who shows us our Savior when we look through his life. He is a mirror revealing our sin. He is a window revealing our Savior. So we're going to look one last time together at Samson's life and death. I will first hold him up to you as a mirror so that we can see our sin and our need for a Savior. And then I will hold him up again as a window so that we can see the Savior God has provided for us. So first, let's look into the mirror, which shows us three aspects of our sin. Number one, we see that sin is darkness. To live in sin is to live in darkness. It is to be blind. It is to lose any proper sense of God, the world, and even of yourself. So kids, I, I ask you, do any of you like sitting alone in the dark? No, I, my kids hate the dark. Have any of you ever been in a room that is so dark you cannot even see the hand in front of your face? That is what life in sin is like. But the nature of sin is such that you do not feel the fear you ought to, and you do not even realize you are blind. In fact, you love the darkness, and you hate the light. How does that sound upside down? It is. Who would love darkness and hate light? That doesn't make sense. Well, sin doesn't make sense. Jesus said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. At the beginning of Samson's life, we see his very first act is to choose a woman who was right in his own eyes. And as Samson lived doing what was right in his eyes, he lived as if he had no eyes. He walked around as a blind man who loved the night. In the first three verses of chapter 16, the night is repeatedly emphasized. Samson goes to Gaza, which was the capital city of the Philistines. So it's like if we went to Washington, D.C., and he spends the night there with a prostitute. 
And while he's there, the Gazites learn that Samson is there. And Samson is now public enemy number one for the Philistines. And so they set a trap to capture him. It says they set an ambush all night. It says they kept quiet all night. But twice it says that Samson got up at midnight. And he rips up the city gates with its posts. He puts it on his shoulders and he carries it out of the city. So four times the author emphasizes the presence of the night. And I believe this is to show us Samson is not just walking in physical darkness. He's walking in spiritual darkness. But it gets worse. Because in verse 4 it says... After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So the Lord had just given Samson another miraculous victory. He carries the, the city gates of the Philistines up onto a hill, but then he immediately descends right back down into the valley. For as grace lifts us up, Sin will always drag us down. And in the valley, Samson falls in love with a woman named Delilah. Now, if you've been here previous weeks when I've preached on Judges, you may have noticed that no other woman in Samson's life has been named. Not because they were nameless. The author just doesn't tell us what their names were. We don't know the name of Samson's mother. We don't know the name of Samson's Philistine wife. We don't know the name of the prostitute. But he tells us Delilah's name. And that's the kind of detail that clues me in. It says, why, why does he tell us her name? Well, it was her name. That's one reason. But I think it's also because Delilah is related to the word that means making weak. And it also sounds very similar to the Hebrew word for night. Samson had walked in darkness. Now he is making his bed with the night. And you may remember that Samson's name means little sun, S-U-N. The, the little light has now fallen in love with the darkness. And this signified Israel in the days of the judges who were walking in and loving the darkness of spiritual idolatry. But you remember in Samson's day, the Israelites are not even crying out for deliverance anymore. They didn't want a savior. And they even at one point hand Samson over to the Philistines who are protecting, who are oppressing them. This is all of us when we walk in sin. We love the darkness, we hate the night, we hate the light. And the longer we walk in darkness, the more we will love it. Remember, Jesus said Christians are to be the light of the world. They are to be a city set on a hill. Yet when we flirt with and enter into temptation, we leave the hill and go down into the valley. We lay down with the night and we embrace the darkness with loving arms. 
We live as if we have no spiritual sight, as if we are still blinded by the God of this world. Sin is darkness. Salvation is light. And these two cannot coexist no matter how many bumper stickers you put on your car. There can be no love. There can be no marriage between these two. For darkness must give way to light or else the light will be overcome by darkness. And so to live in sin is to be blind and it is actually to embrace what is seeking to kill you. Don't you get frustrated every time you read Judges chapter 16? And if this was the first time that you ever heard it, did it frustrate you? When Delilah keeps asking Samson to tell her the secret of his strength, and she actually keeps trying everything that he tells her, don't you just want to shout at Samson, Samson, what are you doing? Why are you messing around? Why aren't you running away from this woman? Don't you see what she is doing, Samson? But he doesn't see. That's the point. Because sin blinds you. Wouldn't anyone want to shout at us when we are flirting with sin and laying our heads down in the lap of temptation, which, if we're honest, we do almost every day. We do things that we know we should not do, and we think, well, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Samson refused to see because he loved the darkness. And he eventually tells Delilah his secret. She shaves his head or gets someone else to do it. It's not quite clear in the Hebrew. The Lord leaves him. The Philistines capture him. They gouge out his eyes. And now his face reflects the condition of his soul. He has been doing what was right in his own eyes, so God mercifully takes his eyes. He has been living in blindness, so God mercifully reveals his blindness to him in a very sensible way. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Friends, sin is darkness. Sin will blind you. Do not walk in it. Do not flirt with temptation. Do not give your heart to it in love, because like Delilah, it is trying to kill you. It is trying to kill your faith in and obedience to God, to separate you from God and consecrate you to the world. Sin is darkness. Number two, sin is demanding. I say, do not give your heart to it, because that is what sin is demanding of you. Samson, we are told, loved Delilah. Don't think this is lust. That He loves this woman. 
And he's probably convinced she loved him too. Yet clearly her allegiance was to the Philistines and ultimately her allegiance was to herself. Because when the Philistines learn of Samson's affection for Delilah, the Philistine lords come to her. Now, there were five major Philistine cities, and each had a, a lord, some kind of ruler. So this is probably referring to these five rulers. And you see now that Sim Samson has become a national figure. This is no longer a local conflict between Samson and Timnah. This is a conflict between Samson and the kings of Philistia. And remember, God sent Samson to begin to save Israel from the Philistines. From the beginning, we know God was seeking an opportunity to take the Philistine nation down. The brief story in verses 1 through 3 is probably intended to give you a, a glimpse of what life was like as Samson judged Israel for 20 days. They were always oppressed by the Philistines, but probably multiple of these kinds of Events took place. This is why the lords want him out of the picture. The lords therefore offered Delilah 1,100 pieces of silver each. So probably 5,500 pieces of silver total if she will seduce and betray Samson. Now it's hard to calculate with inflation how much exactly that is today, but needless to say, it was a whole lot of money. Delilah would become rich. Delilah would probably become a national hero if she helps them get rid of Samson. So Delilah starts asking Samson how to subdue and bind him. He gives her a few phony answers, but she keeps demanding. She keeps pressing. In verse 15, she finally says, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with you, with me? Delilah demands Samson's heart, his total allegiance, his total affection, because that's what sin always demands of us. When you cultivate a relationship with sin, you are never the one in the position of power. You are never the one in control. There is no such thing as a casual fling or one night stand with sin. You can't just take what you want from it and go your merry way because sin demands your very heart if it is to keep giving you its pleasure. And this is again why light and darkness cannot coexist. They follow different masters and Jesus is clear, you cannot follow two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And so you must understand that there is never a point where you are being tempted to a sin, and it's just a little sin. It's just a minor thing. Even little sins and temptations are a big deal because they are just the first proddings of Delilah that will eventually grow to demand your love or else deny you any pleasure. God had warned Cain 
Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, or its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Jesus warned Peter, Satan demanded to have you, not part of you, all of you, that he might sift you like wheat. So remember, whenever you are facing temptation and you are reasoning to yourself, this is, it's just a little sin. It's not going to hurt anybody if I give in. Remember that sin is never content to, t to stay small. It is always seeking its greatest expression. And it is not content to have part of you. It demands all of you. Which means the more you give in, the more it will demand. And little sins will just get bigger every time. Because sin is always growing and it is always demanding. Sin is darkness. Sin is demanding. And third, we see that sin is dangerous. Why isn't Samson wary when Delilah asks, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you? Seems like an odd hypothetical question to ask your boyfriend. Can you imagine going on a, a, a blind date and the, the first question your date asks you is, you know, I was just wondering... Just randomly, what is your social security number and bank information just in case somebody wanted to take everything you own? Now, you're, you're probably not going to stay on the date and just give them some fake numbers and see them type it in. And, oh, that didn't work. Let's try again. No. Yet that's exactly what Samson does. Why? I think for two reasons. First, because he thinks this is just playful banter and harmless fun. He doesn't view Delilah as a serious threat. I mean, you've seen what this guy has done. He killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. He's not scared of a woman. This is often how we view sin. We think it's just fun and games. And no real harm will come of it. Sin, we're told, is a roaring lion seeking to devour us, and yet we often view it as little more than a rambunctious kitten that, yeah, may nip and scratch from time to time, but overall is pretty cute and cuddly and sometimes fun. We think sin is our pet when we are its prey. Second, I think one of the reasons Samson is so complacent and carefree is because he has been abusing God's grace for quite some time now. You'll notice that Samson is flirting with disaster as his answers inch closer and closer to the truth. His last lie is now about his hair, which is significant. And when he does tell Delilah the truth and he wakes up with a shaved head, he still thinks, no big deal. 
I'm just going to get up, go out, and it's going to be like it's been every single time I faced the Philistines. Now, why does he think that? How does he not know that God has left him? Because he has been presuming on God's grace. Samson was a Nazarite. He was consecrated to God from birth. He was not to touch dead bodies. He was not to drink wine. He was not to cut his hair. The hair especially was the sign of his consecration to God. Yet we've already seen that Samson has violated the other signs. He's touched dead bodies. He's drunk wine. And the Spirit of the Lord still rushed upon him at times. And he always escaped. Even in the preceding episode, when Samson slept with a prostitute, Samson still escapes. And like Israel, Samson seemed to think that God's covenant promises can be taken for granted. As if God has to bless and save his people, whether they're obedient to him or not. He had sinned before and seemingly escaped any consequences. Why would now be any different? God is patient with you. God is merciful. God is kind and gracious. But his kindness and grace are intended to lead you to repentance, not confirm you in complacency. He may mercifully spare you at times from sinful consequences. There's been times in my life where I've just thanked the Lord. Lord, I deserved way worse than you gave me. You were just merciful. Thank you. But this doesn't mean we will keep escaping if we keep persisting in sin. God's grace should not make you think sin is not a big deal and God doesn't care about it. Sin is dangerous and you will not always escape the danger if you refuse to repent. Even if you do escape some earthly consequences, you will not escape the final judgment if you persist in sin. God was patient with Samson, but when Samson ultimately rejected the, his consecration by rejecting the sign of it, Samson learned that he could not presume on God's grace any longer. And so he was bound, his eyes were gouged out, he was forced to grind grain, which was what women and slaves did, so it was intended to be humiliating. He was brought out at a party to be mocked, to be laughed at, and ultimately he dies. We see here that the man with supernatural strength had now become like any other man in weakness. If my head is shaved, he told Delilah, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Christian, you're not supposed to be like any other man or woman. You have been called and set apart by God to be holy unto him. Your love and your life belong to him. 
But you cannot have the light of God when you embrace the darkness of sin. So look into the mirror of Samson's life and let it warn you when you enter into temptation thinking, I can see, I'm safe, I'm in control. Even if things don't go well, God will make me escape. Remember Paul's words. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? We all must look into the mirror and see our sin. But then we must look through the window and see our Savior. Because the very same story that reveals our sin reveals our Savior, who is Jesus Christ, the greater and perfect judge, the stronger deliverer, whose grace is mightier than your sin. For Jesus is the light of the world, not a little light. He's the light of the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like Samson, Jesus was sent to overthrow the kingdom of darkness that was oppressing his people. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. For when Abraham obeyed God, by being willing to offer up his son Isaac, God said to Abraham, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now the city gate was a symbol of strength and protection. Now, gates in Samson's day were massive and elaborate. We're not talking about a little gate that goes into your front yard. These city gates were at least two to three stories high. Each side had guard rooms filled with soldiers. It's probably the rooms that the soldiers are, are waiting for Samson to as, they, as he comes through the gate, they're going to be on either side just waiting for him in the morning. The two posts were set deep within the ground to support these massive doors. And so we read that Samson miraculously rips this possibly three-story high structure with the posts from the ground, and he carries it to Hebron, which was 40 miles from Gaza. This is, this is not small. And apparently, God caused the soldiers waiting in the guard rooms to fall into a supernatural sleep because no one seems to be aware of what happened until the morning. And they wake up in their guard rooms and they can see each other across the way. And they're thinking, weren't there big doors here just a little bit ago? And Samson then sets the gates on the hill before Hebron in Judah, as if God is reminding Israel of the Abrahamic promise and calling them back to Abrahamic obedience. 
But the offspring did not truly possess the gates of his enemy until Jesus came to conquer sin, Satan, and death. For what did Jesus tell his disciples? I quoted this morning, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell were going to get ripped up with their posts and the Savior was going to carry them in victory and set it before the people of God. Because the power of the devil cannot withstand the power of this Savior. And even when death had this Savior trapped behind a massive stone with guards standing all around it in the morning, that massive stone had been rolled away and all of those soldiers had fallen asleep and they woke up and they found out that deliverer was gone. <laughs> they thought they had it trapped. The defenses of the devil were undone. The power of hell was overcome. The stronger man had bound the strong man who was oppressing his people. Do you see your Savior through this window? Samson was also betrayed by someone he loved for pieces of silver. So Jesus was betrayed by a friend he loved for the same. Yet Samson was betrayed for 5,500 pieces of silver, while the much greater Savior of infinite worth was betrayed for a mere 30 pieces. Do you see your Savior through the window? Samson was also a deliverer who was unwanted and unasked for. And when Jesus came to his own, his own people did not receive him. The men of Judah had handed Samson over to the Philistines, just like the men of Jerusalem would hand Jesus over to the Romans. And unlike the other judges in our stories, no army ever rallies around Samson, not even an army of 300 like Gideon. Samson had to deliver alone by the power of the Spirit. And so Jesus saved alone, living and dying in the power of the Spirit. Do you see your Savior through this window? Now, the greatest sight of your Savior comes not in Samson's life. It comes in his death. For Samson is the only judge we've come across who ever suffered a defeat. And in this defeat, he was beaten, he was mocked, and he was set up as a spectacle for others to jeer and laugh at. When the Philistines were having a party, they, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. It literally means call Samson that we can laugh. It's interesting if you revocalize that same word in Hebrew, that instead of saying call Samson that we can laugh at us, it actually means call Samson so he can crush us. The latter happened. So Samson is brought out at the party. You notice this, this great, this mighty man can't even hold himself up anymore. A young boy has to hold him up and help him feel the pillars. It is then that Samson finally calls upon the Lord and he asks the Lord to strengthen him one last time that he might die with the Philistines. The Lord does answer and return to him. Samson pushes 
the pillars with outstretched arms, and he dies, killing 3,000 Philistines. And the author notes later, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson's greatest victory over the Philistines came when he died. So when Jesus was betrayed and handed over to the Romans, they beat him. The soldiers mocked him. Jesus was so weak that he could not even carry the cross up the hill by himself, but another man had to hold it up for him. To possess the gates of the enemies, Jesus walked up a hill like Samson, but he walked up the hill to die like Samson. He was displayed on a cross for the amusement of the crowd, and he cried out, wondering why the Lord had left him. But as it was with Samson, Jesus was given the strength to die with his enemies. He was numbered among the transgressors. But unlike Samson, Jesus did not die asking for God's vengeance upon his enemies. He died asking God to forgive his enemies. So on the cross, Jesus suffered an apparent defeat. The light of the world was swallowed up by darkness. When Jesus died, Luke even observes that there was a supernatural darkness over the land. The sun's light failed, Luke says. But like Samson, this defeat turned out to be Jesus' greatest victory as he likewise died with arms outstretched. For here was the death that would defeat sin and Satan, that would undo their power, that would set the captives free. His victory in death was even greater than his miraculous victories in life. Do you see your Savior through the window? If so, what should you do? You should pray the prayer of weakness. Twice, Samson calls upon the Lord. But both times are only when he finally realizes how weak he is apart from the Lord. For Samson's strength was not in his hair. In fact, it wasn't in any part of Samson. The hair was a sign that signified his relationship to God. And sometimes God attaches power to his covenant signs and seals, uniting the sign with what it signifies. So Samson's power was the Lord, and to lose the Lord was to lose his strength. Samson was never self-sufficient. Without the Spirit, he was weak like any other man. And so to show Samson his true strength, God had to show Samson his weakness. Because it was only when Samson saw his weakness that he started to seek the Lord who was his strength. It wasn't until God took Samson's eyes that Samson could finally see clearly. For when Samson killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone, he had been exhausted near death. And that was when he cried out to the Lord and the Lord gave him water from a rock. 
And now when Samson is prepared to die, when he is too weak to even hold himself upright, he again calls upon the Lord, and the Lord gives him the strength to do what Samson had been born to do. And Samson had been born to die in order to save his people. There is no doubt in my mind that when the author of Hebrews speaks of heroes of the faith, he is thinking of Samson when he refers to those who were made strong out of weakness. That is Samson's example to us. That is what we are to emulate. Samson was not your example when he was strong. Samson was your example when he was weak. Because God is not calling you to kill lions like Samson or kill Philistines with jawbones like Samson or lift gates out of the ground like Samson. He is calling you to pray like Samson. Because Samson's prayers were his most powerful acts because that is when he actually relied upon the Almighty. So I ask you, has God been working in your life to show you that you are weak? To show you your sin? If so, that is really good. He is making you not rely on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. He is teaching you that his power is made perfect in weakness and his grace is sufficient for you. The cross of Christ proves that God always takes sin seriously. But it also proves the unending length of his grace, which can reach even the depths of your sin when you call upon him in faith. So pray the prayer of weakness, which is always depending on God's grace. Confess your sin, confess your love of the darkness, and plead for his light and forgiveness. God will always answer that prayer of weakness. For wherever sin is growing, grace is growing all the more. For just notice here at the end what happens before Samson even utters his prayer. As the Philistines seize Samson, I love how the author just subtly inserts in verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You think, well, yeah, of course, that's what hair does. But that right there is gospel hope. Christian, you are not to presume upon God's grace, but you are to depend upon it. For Grace can always regrow whatever sin has cut. And if you are praying the prayer of weakness, it means that God's grace has already been growing in you to get you to pray that prayer. So look in the mirror, see your sin, and pray. Pray for God's grace to grow and cover the guilt and shame of your sin. And then immediately look through the window and see the one whose victorious death 
was even greater than Samson's. Because when you look through the window, you will find your forgiveness and you will find your strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We are weak and we are sinful. So we pray that you would show us our sin, that we might find forgiveness in Jesus. And we pray that you would show our weakness so that we would find the strength of Jesus. We thank you for your merciful pains. It was a mercy to gouge out Samson's eyes so that he could finally see who he really was and who you are. Lord, thank you when you are merciful to us. That when we are just going our own way and doing what is right in our own eyes, you will work so that we can finally see that we have been blind. So continue to have mercy on us. And may your grace continue to grow all the more and overcome all that our sin has cut off. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.